is possible. Anything possible! podcast a sports ethos production i'm your host candace Hagens, and it is especially a pleasure and a privilege to talk hawks with you i am super excited to announce that the seattle seahawks have made the playoffs and in the iconic words of kevin garnett That's right, Kevin, and I cannot be more thrilled for this team, for this coaching staff to pull it out in the end. It happened like I predicted. Now, it I did think it would be a lot easier. The Packers going on a run at the end of the season was not something that I foresaw being a part of the playoff, de- the playoff destiny for the Seahawks ultimately, and it did take. The Lions beating the Packers at home in a huge upset when they had nothing to play for, knowing that the Lions had been eliminated already because the Seahawks had won. They went right in with as much heart, competitive spirits that you could have and just knocked the Packers absolutely out. They really were in the game the whole time. And you could just tell, man, that they were just playing some of the most inspired football I've seen all season. And I know I was inspired by watching it, not just because, well, the Seahawks' destiny was effectively in the Lions' hands, but just because of Dan Campbell. I mean, those guys were motivated. I think the Packers have just pissed them off enough to where they just wanted the opportunity to knock them out of the playoffs was enough for them to come out and play uh, like their season was on the line, and it, and it really wasn't. So kudos to the Lions. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are eternally grateful. I know I won't soon forget this, and it boy, is it something to celebrate for this team. that The odds, the odds had just been stacked against the team uh, to this point. The Broncos winning uh, their last game was disappointing to me, at least. The, the NFL putting the Packers and Lions game even in prime time was upsetting to me. There were just so many things that I just felt like was going against the team. And I just, honestly, I didn't expect to make the playoffs. I'll be honest, like going into that week, I just felt the odds were stacked against them. Even if they could pull out the win against the Rams, which I did think they do ultimately, I just wasn't happy with, uh, I, I, I wasn't, not say I wasn't happy, but I just, I didn't feel like there'd be enough momentum going in the Seahawks way for some miracle like this to be pulled off. And yet it was. And I am super excited to be wrong. It's been a while since I've been able to talk to you because, well, these games have been really smack dab in the middle of the holidays and I am super big on family. So it's been difficult for me to try to get podcasts recording in like I would want to in the middle of all of that, but I feel like I am back in time just enough to celebrate. As you all know, I had predicted uh, initially that the Seahawks would lose against the 49ers and the Chiefs, but that they would win against the Jets and the Rams, and that would be enough to get them in the playoffs. Now, that on its own wasn't of its own merit. Like I said, I did not foresee the Packers kind of surge there at the end. 
I didn't really think they'd be a factor. But nonetheless, the prediction was still correct. All the more reason why hopefully you will continue to tune in to eat those Seahawks as we learn and grow. But I, I want to talk a little bit about why this is so great for the Seahawks. Now, I know you can catch me on it. You got the receipts. There are times where I have said I did not want this team to make the playoffs for a variety of reasons at a variety of stages. At some point, I, I they just got so injured that I began to question, is it really best for them? But now that the, the Seahawks are here, you know, I, I'm happy for it. Like, I did want them to just be in competitive games. I didn't think that it would be helpful for them to go in the playoffs and get embarrassed. But knowing the opponent now and just the experience, I thought I've spent some time thinking about why this really is a good thing and why I am so happy. Because I was ecstatic when the Lions ultimately beat the Packers. So here's where I've landed on this being happy. The same reason why I was happy for the young players getting to play in meaningful games and be on a competitive squad over tanking is is really why it's a good thing for the young players. Playoff experience, you cannot duplicate the intensity, the one game win or go home, put everything on the table, there is no looking ahead type of mentality. It would just be really interesting. And then it would give them a taste, I think, to be motivated to want to come back and build and work on their games and understand what it takes and the difference between regular season football and playoff football. Also, and the thing I'll tell you I'm the most excited about is getting the opportunity to evaluate Geno Smith in a playoff format because that was going to be the main question mark. You would have to have projected Geno in the playoffs. Now you really get to find out what it's going to look like against a very good team in the 49ers. Can he step up when the team needs him the most? Or will he fold? We just look run of the mill. And I think it's going to be huge for the future of the team, yes, but in contract negotiations. You know, if they didn't have this, if the Seahawks didn't have solid evidence of this is how you play in the playoffs, it was going to be sort of hard to negotiate around that. The Seahawks can make a much better informed decision, not only having a full season of Geno, but having a full season and at least one playoff game to evaluate to see when it gets cold, when it gets hard, when it's open, when it's, you know, open weather or tough weather, how does Geno play? When everything's on the line, can he make, can he step up to the moment or does he make costly mistakes? That hurt the team in the end. And it'll be huge for Geno. If Geno's able to step up and he's able to play some of his best football of the year in the playoffs, come playoff time against that opponent, really if he if he's able to stay competitive, like if he can avoid mistakes, if he makes a good reads, if he processes the game well, if he's got comfortability in the pocket, that'll go far for him negotiating this team and, and negotiating his contract. I'm not sure if that's going to be how it goes against the 49ers for him or not, but I know for sure to help the Seahawks too. Just, you know, if, if he earns that, then it's worth paying for, honestly. If he shows that he can do it when, when it when it matters most, then yeah, pay him some extra money or pay him an incentive potentially. I'm for that. But if he shows that he can't, then if you're going to bring him back, you know you can you should be doing that at a lower cost. 
because you don't think he'll be able to get you over the hump based off what you've seen from him in his playoff performance. A lot is on the line for him. A lot lot is on the line for the team. Yes, the season, but I think they want to make a statement. I think they want to continue to prove everybody wrong. They're going to play their hearts out because all they wanted was a chance. I hope they can put their best ball together in this game for this moment. It's not easy to beat a team three times, and that's what the 49ers will be tasked with doing against the Seahawks. And then another reason why I'm so happy about this is just because divisional games are weird, especially in the NFC West. There's this rock, paper, scissors between the coaches of Pete Carroll always being able to win over Shanahan and never being able to win against McVay and Shanahan never being able to lose against McVay, really. So just this interesting circle that in level of familiarity that will add, I think, another layer of intensity to this particular playoff game. So if they're going to get a playoff game, you know, better against a divisional opponent, somebody who you know, who you've got history with, especially this team. They got a chip on their shoulder. They got swept by this team. And they would love to put everything on the line to knock this team out of the playoffs. And the Seahawks ultimately have nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. They're playing with 100% house money. They weren't supposed to be here. They weren't even supposed to be competing for the playoff spot if you let most people preseason tell the story. Let alone actually making it into the playoffs and playing against a divisional rival. You know, the 49ers... They have a reason to be confident. They swept this team. The Seahawks played their worst ball against the 49ers. But I also think they've got a reason to be nervous because of all the teams, the teams that played them the toughest have been the Seahawks. Now, have they lost those games? Yeah. But they also weren't able to score points against this team. They were able to score points on everybody, 30-plus points for everybody, everybody else but the Seahawks. Everyone else but the Seahawks. So that's huge. And if you're the Seahawks, you're carrying that with you. You're carrying that chip on your shoulder, and you're putting everything on the line. The pressure is really on the 49ers. No matter what happens on the Seahawks' end, it's all great. And that's another reason why this is a good situation. I think I think had they continued that streak, that win streak that they were on earlier before the bye week and being on fire, I think expectations would have been high for this team going in if they would have been able to keep up some of that. But because they sort of faltered and there were clear flaws throughout the season, I think you got the best evaluation and you saw the clear holes and weaknesses on this team for evaluation purposes. You still get the opportunity to test it out against the playoffs and ultimately getting exposed in the way they did in the middle of the season didn't prevent them from a huge accomplishment for the team, which is making the playoffs. It really is a win-win all around. And I couldn't be more happy. So, let's talk about what it took to get there. Because while I will admit the Jets and the Rams are weaker opponents on the schedule, but so are the Panthers, so are the Raiders, and the team still lost those games. So what did the team do differently in the games against the Jets and the Rams to put themselves in the position to go to the playoffs where they didn't against Teams like the Rams and the the Panthers and even the 49ers and the Chiefs. Like, what were the differences between the games? Let's get into it. 
right now. All right, so essentially what I would like to do in this segment is the opposite or the reverse, really, of what I do for Keys to Victory. And I'm going to talk about sort of the trends to and what's led to their victories, right? Instead of me predicting or projecting the Keys to Victory, I want to break down really what it took for the Seahawks to win those final two games. So but let's start with defense, because defense has been the topic of the most conversation, and rightfully so, as it's probably had the most glaring holes in it. Compared to the offensive side of the ball, we'll talk about both. The first thing that I think that the defense did, because I got to be honest, against the Jets, I don't really feel that they, I think competition was a big factor. I'm not sure that the run defense was really better in that Jets game in particular. I just think the Jets, that was more of a coaching thing because the Jets were behind, they decided to throw more. I really think if the Jets had a kind of went against tradition in that regard and had run the ball down the Seahawks' throats, that that might would have been a that game could have gone a different way. I'll, I'll stand by that. But what did change in that game, what I thought changed in both by far, was the ability to get to the quarterback. The ability to put pressure on the opposing offense was huge in both of these games, and that's a trend that I saw. And it's great to see because Daryl Taylor absolutely came to life. Now you do have to consider the competition in both regards, but it's just good to see him appear because like I said, there are games that this team needed him against lower tier talent, the Falcons, the New Orleans Saints, and he just wasn't there, right? But this was a game that was huge. In that Jets game, they had a season high 32 pressures. They've never had 32 pressures before. They had five sacks in that game. They really made a difference in the game. It flustered Mike White, and he some of it, some of some of his play was was because he just you know couldn't didn't have rhythm. He was just a little off. But surely the amount of sheer pressure he was dealing with on a snap to snap basis also played a huge factor in that game. And then even in the Rams, even though it wasn't as dominant when it came to pressure, they still consistently got to the quarterback. They had 24 pressures in that game, which before then, the, the season high was 22 pressures in a game. And they had six sacks in that game. And they matched their season high for sacks uh, when they also had six sacks against the Cardinals. And so it was just a huge difference for them. Uh, these two games were their highest rated pass rush games by PFF, and it meets the eye test. Like PFF, you know, I'll use it because it's one of the few, uh, I say, access where you, you get access to like advanced stats and things like that. But sometimes I don't always agree with PFF, but this matches, right? It meets the eye test. They had their highest two pass rush performances to end the year, and that's what you want to do. You want to finish strong. They had an 81 pass rush grade against the Jets and a 70.9 pass rush game against the Rams. Like I said, their two highest performances for that, they've been, you know, below 70 in that regard. And I think that matches pretty much everything we've seen to this point just because it has been so inconsistent. Now, one thing I think did shift for this for this team, and Daryl Taylor in particular, was Nuosu 
was a monster, especially through the first eight weeks. And then I think teams started paying more attention to stifle Uchenna Nwosu a little bit more, and it began to open up opportunities for Daryl Taylor to be able to take advantage of him. So I think he is great single block. He is still terrible in the run game. That's obvious, but he is he can win with athleticism and his bend and his speed can help him in one-on-one matchups. And I think one, like I said, the talent the talent level has made a difference for him. He's not playing against the elite of the elite. I do still think at the end of the day, despite Daryl Taylor ending with 9.5 sacks and Nwosu also ending with 9.5 sacks, that Nwosu's a starter caliber player and that Daryl Taylor is not. I do not feel that he is. I feel like he's a great rotation player who could take advantage of single player matchups, but I just don't think that's a guy you want to consistently start, especially depending on the matchup. He can struggle sometimes in that regard. So anyway, that's the number one thing in terms of defense that I think changed. There, there are some things that I just don't think changed, but they weren't punished as much for it. And there are other things that they genuinely were able to do differently that made a difference, and that's number one. Number two is the run defense, right? So I did talk about how I feel like the Jets game was not a fair representation of their true run defense. I will stand by that. I do not think that it was a fair representation of their true run defense. I just think that, they, I mean, they still allowed. If, you don't, if you're wondering what I mean when I say they didn't have like real impact in the run game, Ty Johnson in the Jets game still averaged 5.8 yards per carry, right? And Zonovan Knight still averaged 3.4 yards per carry. They only had 17 attempts though, so it didn't add up to anything. What about 17 yards? I mean, 75 yards in total. They just gave up on it. They had 46 pass attempts. That was just more of a coaching thing. The coach just decided we're behind, we need to pass the ball. But I, like I said, I'll stand by forever. If they wanted to have keep, if they have, if they wanted to keep running the ball, they could have. And I just don't think Seattle would have done much to stop it. it of 5.8 yards per carry average right so but I do think it was improved in the Rams game I think you could see a difference there some of it has to do with well Cam Akers still went off right he still got his yards some of that was just because of explosives they still do they still get beat by horizontal plays fly sweeps a couple of those were really successful and played a part Cam Akers was able to you know have his way but it was able to, they were able to contain it, I'll say. Um, you know, you don't want, you don't want to allow 146 rushing yards, not really, but relative to how it had been looking and how players look like they could have easily gotten 200 and, two, and have gotten 200 yards, they kept it contained. The run defense is still a problem, but I think they were able to not make it a complete liability. They were able to be respectable enough where teams still had to pass. It, it wasn't just like this team can run whenever they want to and there's no reason for them to pass the ball at all. Because there's been times when I've watched the game and I just felt like if the team ran every play, there'd be absolutely nothing they could do. They still were able to just do better at that, even if it is still a, a huge hole in the defense. And it is. But overall, the defense just kind of stepped up one thing that i noticed is i just have i wonder if tanner musen is something i'll continue to watch find out in the playoffs for sure 
But I just wonder if Tanner Muse is a better scheme fit at the wheel linebacker spot. Ah, I, I don't think he's a middle linebacker. I think that's more Cody Barton. I think Cody Barton plays better at middle linebacker for sure. It, I think he's been playing well since Jordan Brooks went out. He's been holding his own. He's still going to have some bloops because I think some of his game is just awareness and bad instincts. He'll get burnt sometimes for that. But, you know, filling in for you at middle linebacker, Cody Barton's done a respectable job. And they tried Tanner Muse at this most recent game at the middle linebacker spot, and he did not do as well. I don't think Tanner Muse is a middle linebacker, but I do think he can be a, a pretty good asset at the wheel linebacker spot. Because at, at that wheel linebacker spot, he had a 90 grade, 90 overall. That was the second highest defensive grade on the team. Um, against the Jets he didn't have any missed tackles but he was great in coverage and that's something that's been really key and something that could actually really help against the this 49ers team who likes to keep George Kittle involved well if they've got Karen Muse at the wheel linebacker spot against the Jets he only allowed one of three targets to be to be caught he only allowed four yards he had one pass breakup he only had a 42% completion rating uh, against and he was still able to get a pressure too so he just had a really great all-around game at that wheel linebacker spot I, I really think I prefer him there over middle linebacker you're not going to get much from him at that spot let Cody Barton take over the middle linebacker slot and just go from there I think part of the reason why I'm questioning if Tanner Muse is a better scheme fit is one because he was a safety originally I believe that the Raiders drafted him as a safety and so he's got much better coverage skills and it just prevents there from being one huge liability on this team because Jordan Brooks is probably the better overall player in terms of the athleticism and upside especially in speed well actually Tanner Muse is faster but in terms of upside and, and awareness and all of those things I, I think that Jordan Brooks is a better player, but in this scheme, do you just need somebody who can be better in coverage for you to not be a liability in that regard? That teams can't have a go-to if you need to get a first down, this for sure will get you one. The way that a tag Jordan Brooks will automatically get you a first down in any regard. I mean, I, I like Jordan Brooks as a player, and I am not down on him. I just question if he really is a good scheme fit, and I wonder if it's potentially something that they may consider trading. If they can get like, well, a Trevor Simpson, I believe is his name, the linebacker. If not, I'm just starting to get into the draft prospects and dip my foot in there. But I believe his name is Trevor Simpson. Well, he's a linebacker, I'm really high on him. We would like to see him. He's very versatile. And maybe it's a him and Tanner Muse with maybe throw Cody Barton in the mix. I'd love them to sign one more outside linebacker, off-ball linebacker for competition purposes and, and go from there at that position. But maybe it's that. I mean, I'd like to see Taylor Muse get more of a shot, particularly at that real linebacker spot. I don't think, again, he is a middle linebacker. But going back to the defense overall, cohesively, they've played better. They've allowed, it over the last three weeks, they've been, they were in fifth place in terms of points per game. They were in third in terms of total pressures. They were in seventh in terms of yards per game, which is huge for this team, especially given how much, how many uh, defense rushing yards they normally would give up. It blew up everything, so that's comforting to see. And then they were third 
in third down cons conversion rate allowed, which is big because this team used to give out first down after first down after first down. They would hardly ever get a three and out. So it was just encouraging to see, no matter the opponent, over the last three weeks, and put that together because, like I said, it's been a problem. It's not been about the opponent all year. It's just kind of varied depending on the matchup, really. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, Gino has not played well. I think he's been more turnover prone. I think he's made poor decisions. There's a lot of question marks that Gino has left. I, I definitely think that he's lost some of his value because it seems like you can almost count on him to throw one interception per game. And I don't really know what's changed in terms of his processing. I don't really understand that part, but he's just not playing to the best of his abilities. I have a theory that he plays better in warmer climates. And as the year gets on, he's a little bit more prone to making poor mistakes, not being as comfortable. That's yet to be determined. It's still, you know, early in this whole Geno Smith being a starter era. But it's something I suspect might be a factor there. Because he plays great in like domes and he plays pretty well in warm climates. But when it gets rainy and the elements are a factor, he seems to particularly play poorly. So I think that's definitely something to pay attention to there. But in terms of things that they did well, they brought back a little bit more of incorporating the tight ends. And they were able to do that. These two things are related. They were able to do that, I feel, because of the rushing attack. So the rushing attack, I'll start off with that actually, has been gone for some time. Like Ken Walker showed to do much of anything, but he had a great second half against the Chiefs. And he's really been rolling since. He had 133 yards against the Jets. He had 114 yards against the Rams. And so having that threat there, you know, you would say it helps Gino. It hasn't, but that's all the more reason why I feel like the elements are a factor there. Nevertheless, I don't think that the tight ends could be properly used in the way that, that Waldron wants to use them without the threat of the running game. Because then you don't know, are the tight ends blocking? Are they run blocking? Are they pass blocking are they receivers and it adds a little bit more uncertainty it, it makes the defense have to think a little bit more if you got the threat of the run if you don't have the threat of the run then even if you see three tight ends the defense can understand and adjust to that and so there's no uncertainty there are no questions and ultimately they know how to handle it and it's just less of the threat than it was before I don't think it was less that they weren't emphasizing it on offense as much as those two things are peanut butter and jelly in terms of tight end, the three tight end packages, and the run game. But the three tight ends have been particularly productive and a, and a big part of the offense, especially given that DK hasn't had great games and Tyler Lockett is fresh off of surgery, coming back, trying to play these games. And the tight ends have stepped up. You know, in a game against the Jets, they were the second, third, and fourth highest rated offensive players on the team, the three tight ends, one of which being Tyler Mayberry because they are without Will Disley for the remaining of the season due to his injury. The tight ends combined in that Jets game for, third, for 83 yards and they had eight receptions on 11 targets. They had two touchdowns. And in the Rams game, not as dynamic, but still a big contribution from, from them, 67 yards and six receptions on seven targets. No touchdowns in that game, but very, very efficient, very reliable. And I think that the tight ends have made huge plays 
in terms of you know getting first downs, third down conversion. They just spin that outlet that Geno needs when he needs it. That I don't think you can ask much more from them than, than what you're getting. So that's really that's been a really big deal. Those are those are the swing factors. I feel there are still holes in this team and personnel that you just can't overcome. But they found a way to be able to lean into what they do well and figure out how to get that back. How to be solid enough to hold up. They've done just enough. And it's gotten them into the playoffs as a result. So, congrats to the coaching staff. Congrats to the players. I'm extremely happy and proud of this team. Now, before I wrap up, I would be remiss not to talk about at least the possibility of the Seahawks winning. And I'll go, you'll hear more about my thoughts in the official preview. I'm gonna team up with Ted Talks Ball again and do a 49ers preview like we have the first two times. So be on the lookout for that. We expect to do that on Wednesday, so we'll have something out to you guys shortly after that. But in the meantime, I wanted to give you just my initial thoughts on at least why I feel like the Seahawks have a chance, right? They have a chance because Pete knows Kyle Shanahan's system and he he knows what he wants to do and he knows what he needs to counter in order to do that. It's just that simple. Pete just seems to know how to how to make it difficult for Kyle, for Kyle Shanahan and his team. That's going to help. Also something that is to be considered in that both the week 2 and week 15 matchups against the 49ers they had both just come off of games, and I feel like they were being conservative on purpose. In the second week, Pete acknowledged that they just weren't using the full variety of their playbook. And in the week 15 matchup, I thought that might be fixed. But I'd heard a quote from Gino that concerned me, and I believe I talked about this on the podcast, that episode, previewing that game, because I heard Gino say a quote that, he was turning the ball over too much and that it was within he had to do a better job of playing within himself and taking care of the football better that scared me because i thought he would then go back to just the extreme of playing super conservative and i believe they did that most definitely now they don't have anything on the line like i said they're playing with house money so i don't think they have a reason not to go for it i think you'll see Gino not be as in his head about that. I think the guy's just going to go out there and play. And I think Pete's just going to go out there and coach. And I really hope that we can see non-conservative calls and things like that because this is a time to go for it. This team's got nothing to lose. And I hope that Pete's telling them that, that they're embracing that mindset and they're not going in playing scared against this 49ers team. Go in and take it to him, man. Get DK open. Those corners can't stop him. DK has gone off against the 49ers this year. Take advantage of that. Don't be afraid to do the long rounding routes. You know, I know the pressure, the, the pass rush is a factor. Man, get a swing tackle in there like Jake Curhan and keep and keep it moving. Play hard. And I think and I hope that they will. Because it'll play to their advantage. Another thing is the Seahawks are more battle-tested in terms of the regular season at least. Now, obviously the 49ers have much more playoff experience than pretty much anybody on this roster. But when it comes to this season, 
they haven't played anybody. The 49ers have had a cupcake schedule, to say the least. They haven't played a, a team that was above 500, but only twice since the mid middle of November, and one of those teams were the Seahawks. So they really have been coasting. Brock Purdy hasn't faced anything of note. We'll be one of the better teams they've played this year, period. We just will be. And that will help this Seahawks team because they haven't known what they need to do to get better because they haven't faced any real decent opponents. You know, when everything you do works, then you don't really know what to tweak or what doesn't work in the playoffs. I think the Seahawks have a better sense of that than the 49ers. Now, are they much more talented? Absolutely, as a roster. But just from a we know what works and what doesn't work perspective, the trial and error with which the Seahawks have had to go through and learn that comes with playing a, a tougher schedule, the Seahawks have the edge there. And they should definitely play to that. Do the things that they know work. Avoid the two down linemen sets. Like, stop that. It doesn't work on the run game. Like, do what you know works. They've got a season's worth. They know what's worked against good teams. They know what hasn't worked against good teams. And they know what's worked against this 49ers team and what hasn't and what they could do differently. Looking forward to seeing this one. It is going to be an absolute, absolute fun fest. In the meantime, be sure to follow me on Twitter at CandiceH901. That's CandiceH901. Be sure to follow the show at Ethos Seahawks where you get some stats, analysis, polls. We run spaces there. Feel free to hop through and join us. But that's it, guys. That's all I have the time for today. That's it. And more than ever, go Hawks.